No disrespect, but, you know, I have a job to do. The people that elected me to come and clean up a, a corrupt office from a felon prosecutor. It's appalling uh, that he would even he would use this, uh, this, this tragedy um, as an attempt uh, to try to figure out how did he cover for what he did in his office that was inadequate. I remember seeing the muzzle flash and hearing the shots. I wasn't going to leave him. He had no cover. So I made myself his cover. You're listening to Pod Sui, the week's top stories served a la carte. Subscribe at thegreatvoice.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Combe County Prosecutor Pete Lucido found himself embroiled in multiple controversies this week, including the unissued arrest warrant for Amani Davis, the 19-year-old gunman who killed Detroit police officer Lauren Kortz. Davis was arrested by East Point police for allegedly firing a gun into a crowd of people during a party in June, but charges were never filed. Prosecutor Pete Lucido on All Talk with Tom Jordan and Kevin Dietz. But Amani Davis, there was a warrant request out from East Point police to Macomb County prosecutors. It was being processed for a crime that had occurred in June. And weeks later, that request was still being processed, Kevin, when Officer Quartz was killed. Yeah, there's 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 something going on in Macomb County, uh, and it's going on between uh, the Macomb County prosecutor and uh, Macomb County executive Mark Hackle. Um, in, in this case that you just described, Mark Hackle put out a statement saying uh, his own statement saying he's appalled by this pitiful attempt to politically capitalize on the tragic death of a police officer. The bottom line is that Lucido failed to see the red flags in this case. Uh, the 19-year-old shooter already had multiple police contacts for weapons and violence. Even if there had been a pile of warrant requests, the prosecutor had a duty to place this one on the top of that pile, and he did not. You don't have to read too much between the lines to see that uh, there's a, a little animosity between Macomb County Prosecutor Pete Lacido and Executive Mark Hackle. Joining us now on the phone is Pete Lacido, Macomb County Prosecutor. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, guys. How you doing this morning? Good. Uh, before we get into the war uh, between you and the executive, I, this police officer's death is is so sad and so yep. tragic. Uh, it, it it breaks our hearts. And if it could have been prevented in any way, uh, we we need to dig into that. Can you please share with us why sure. you think it's potentially possible that that could have happened? Well, it you know hindsight is twenty twenty. There's a press release that went out, and basically what I told everybody was. We get warrant requests all day, all night, because those warrants just keep on coming in. We're over 20,000 a year. Some are denied, of course. And, and, and I was surprised when I took the job how many are actually denied. Some don't have enough information yet to bring the charges, and some have with limited charges. On this particular case, there was a discussion that had taken place because there was uh, an allegation that this could have been the shooter in a drive-by and unloaded some bullets, and they took the bullet, which is the you know the lead, and the shell casings, and they found a gun uh, that was um, being dumped off over at a garbage can, and we could only get the, somebody to identify that a Monty Davis was the suspect who dumped the gun, so that we could only bring gun charges, but there was no eyewitnesses that said he did any shooting out of a car on a drive-by, so we had to send the gun as well as the shell casings and the uh, lead bullet to ballistics up in at state crime lab up in Lansing and they're backed up. So we couldn't bring what's called an AWIM assault with intent to murder when you're shooting out of a car at individuals. Thank God nobody got hurt or killed. Now let's take it a further. So this is a regular gun charge. Uh, we got about a hundred, 150 warrants at any one given time that are out of custody. So out of custody means people that have committed a crime, 
they're not locked up because the first thing the prosecutor's office has to do is those that are exigent circumstances, which is somebody who just shot and killed somebody, and we've got to go, and we, we, we've got an ID, we've got everything, let's get this one off the street before they do it again. Second ones are in custody, which are the ones behind bars. We have 72 hours in which to bring the charges. Otherwise, the police have got to let them go. So with working on that over the holiday weekend, if you can believe this, we had the um, individuals that were uh, uh, trying to take down a barricaded gunman in Mount Clemens. We had the uh, execution-style murder that occurred over in Frazier. These were all happening at the same time, and we were short-staffed and have been short-staffed in this office, and we have been requesting typist. This is typing so that the warrants can be prepared quicker and the turnaround. We are ahead, though, of our sister counties. We're about anywhere from seven to ten days on a regular basis behind on out-of-custody warrants. My sister counties, Oakland's about 14 days, and I know that uh, uh, my sister county, Wayne, has huge problems because of the number of warrants they get. But you take them in that fashion, in that order. In fact, the police have given a statement saying it wouldn't have mattered because he was already out of the house, meaning his mother called on May 30th and said, I want my child out of here because he's causing such a disturbance. And do me a favor while you're at it. I'm packing his boxes. I don't want him back. So he left the house. He was written up for disorderly conduct. He went to court on June 2nd. And on June 9th, this drive-by happened, but it took about 10 days to do the investigations and uh, and time to sit down with the warrant, uh, you know, authorizer, which you got to understand with body cams today, cell phone video, in-car video, everything from cameras, doorbell cams. It takes a long time to make sure we get it right because you're not going to charge somebody with up to a life offense without making darn sure that that person is the one that's going to be taken into custody for that offense. Bottom line, you so, bottom line, you you asked for more prosecutors, more staff. Mark Hackle yep. controls the purse strings. He said no. Um, do you think this is really causing lives? Could you, would Officer Lauren Courts be alive today if you had gotten that approval, sure. or are you or are you throwing heat Mark Hackle's way? No, it's not about heat. No disrespect, but you know I have a job to do. The people that elected me to come and clean up a, a, a corrupt office from a felon prosecutor, it's my obligation to utilize the resources in which the board has deemed necessary for me to use with their vote because they're citizens representatives to go ahead and do what I need to do to do the job in which I'm charged with. I've ran my own law firm for over 30 years and I know how to run a law firm. This is the largest law firm in Macomb County that's doing public safety. If I don't have the tools when I need them, how is the job supposed to be getting done? And more importantly, when I'm asking for temporary part-time employees to type warrants to clean us up as quickly as we can, and when we need them, there's no legacy cost. I don't want to use an overtime at the, at the time I talked about this. But now they forced me into going overtime, and for no reason. It cost the taxpayers more money. I got burnout individuals that were in this office and have been for years. They're great employees. They're good people. But unfortunately, when they're single mothers and I'm being forced to work them overtime because they're not going to let me spend the money that the county uh, board of commissioners gave me by way of their vote. 
there's a problem here. Yeah, and somebody needs to listen to this from the state or the feds and say, what's going on over there? It's simple. Yeah, he has a constitutional duty to do what he needs to do to protect the citizens of this county. Macomb County Executive Mark Hackle responded to Lucido's claims that the county is underfunded and understaffed his department minutes later on All Talk. Macomb County Prosecutor Pete Lucido seems to indicate that Imani Davis and Lauren Quartz might both be alive today if he was staffed properly and Imani Davis was locked up on warrants that were around but were unable to be typed up because there weren't enough typists, enough staff, and enough prosecutors to put him behind bars on another previous charge. Uh, joining us now is Mark Hackle, Wink, uh, Macomb County Executive. Good morning, Mark. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, I, do you believe that the prosecutor is saying that uh, because you didn't uh, budget him enough staff, give him enough people, give him enough money to staff his office, that this police officer is no longer with us? I, I can believe he's saying that, but, uh, you know, it's, it's appalling uh, that he would even you know, use this uh, this, this tragedy um, as an attempt uh, to try to figure out how does he cover for what he did in his office that was inadequate. And I mean, the reality is, you know, you got a, you got a file sitting on your desk. I don't care whether you have enough staffing, whether you have enough overtime. How do you not get one of those warrants signed? I've never seen anything like that. I've never heard an, a prosecutor not sign a warrant on somebody with all the red flags that this 19-year-old shooter had uh, not sign that warrant and get it processed. So it's a blame game. He realizes what happened is, uh, you know, he failed and his office did to get this warrant signed in a timely fashion in hopes that maybe they could have found this person and uh, brought him in uh, to custody. But so in an attempt to try to blame it on something else, uh, you know, let me just point to the fact he has never used one, one hour of overtime up until uh, the Saturday after uh, this tragedy happened. Uh, he realized, you know, he got caught with a situation where he should have been paying attention to that. You know, and, and we look at this most recent report that just came out, you know, the findings by this independent uh, firm that looked at some of the concerns they had. And one of the things that people internally said in his own office was uh, he had people in the office that were, and they were complaining about it, spending more time looking at, uh, you know, news stories and, you know, writing what they called happy notes and tributes and, you know, trying to you know, make sure they sent out certificates for people's graduation. Well, you're spending more time doing that than you are looking at warrants that are sitting on your desk to go after people that are, you know, that, that have uh, some type of gun violations. I mean, I find it appalling. I, I can't even understand why he would even think about wanting to blame somebody else when this was an epic failure on behalf of his organization uh, to properly sign and process warrants in his own office. You can't blame them. Somebody. I, I, I've been in law enforcement 30 years. And I'm sitting there thinking, anytime we had an incident or something that was a problem, it became the, uh, uh, the thing that we put right on the top of the shelf, and we'd go address it and deal with it. Well, you've got a kid that had so many red flags and a warrant sitting on your desk, and you don't sign it until the day after the guy is dead. You sign the warrant the day after the guy is dead, and then you have an indication, and you tell everybody, well, we didn't know he was dead. You talk about somebody who's disconnected with reality of what's happening. And so the person that Pete needs to blame is Pete. I don't think he understands how to run the prosecutor's office, and I do believe there are people in that office that tried to warn him of these concerns or problems with his policies uh, that led to this particular failure. So unfortunately for Repeat, I think he's going to see that there's going to be more coming out about this that are going to be concerns for him. But to try to point the finger at somebody else in particular because you don't have enough staffing couldn't be more appropriate because he got the most increased uh, staffing than any other department in the entire county during 2022. In fact, we added 10 prosecutors to his staff. Uh, so this isn't a staffing issue. Uh, this is a management issue on behalf of the prosecutor.
emphasize this case because this obviously uh, ended in such a tragic way. Uh, he, you know, he says he's had these long-standing kind of beefs with you regarding the budget, and you just kind of addressed that. He said his budget requests had been denied, but he, you say that that's no excuse for this particular case. That this warrant request should have been on the top of the pile. Um, why is that? Because there's a lot of very serious criminals are out there that they're trying to go after. But why in this case uh, specify the reasons why you think this should have been priority number one? Yeah, first off, let me uh, let me address the issue of dealing with the uh, the concerns about his budget. He got everything he asked for, the additional staff. The only thing being disputed or, or debated right now is additional positions, an executive assistant, a communications director, and an intern coordinator. What has that got to do with the request that he asked for to deal with warrants, warrants that he alleges were backing up? Or, or any other issues with this court. He got everything he asked for in that budget, with the exception of what I just got through mentioning, which has absolutely nothing to do with law enforcement or signing warrants. So it couldn't be it couldn't be more false the information he's trying to pass along to the public. And it's unfortunate that we have to get into this what everybody wants to call a feud between us because he's attempting to try to figure out how does he shift the blame because he realizes that red flag issues should have been something that they had installed within their organization. It's no different time than a law enforcement agency. Um, having to deal with a, a crisis or an issue that's happening right now. We may have multiple complaints sitting on a detective's desk for larceny, for domestic violence, but the minute we get one in there for a missing person or some kind of a homicide or a gun violation, we are going to put that at the top of the pile and try to figure out how do we assess, how do we address, and how do we get out and, and ask questions and find out, you know, how do we find this person uh, that we're looking for to talk to? Well, you can't tell me that if all of a sudden you've got something that comes in from a law enforcement agency about some shooting that just took place, that you're going to, because he's a non-custodial person, put it in a different uh, file um, and, and wait to sign something like that to get it back to the law enforcement agency so they can get that, uh, that warrant signed in front of a judge to go see if they can't find this individual. I mean, there were so many red flags in this, and maybe that's another issue he's got with his uh, failed policies. That should be something he should have implemented in there to understand that, you know, we don't just, the one that comes in, we take them as they come in. That, that completely you know, goes against the thought of anybody that deals with law enforcement or public safety. You deal with the highest priority cases first, and there is nothing more high profile right now than uh, people that have uh, uh, issues dealing with guns or, or somebody that could be a danger to society. This he, person was a danger to society. He should have known that, and it should have been flagged, and this warrant should have been signed on his desk no matter what his uh, excuses are. We're talking with Macomb County Executive Mark Hackle. Uh, Pete Lacido is the top law enforcement official in Macomb County. Uh, he has said that a lack of staffing uh, very well may have led to this officer's death. Is the, has he put the county in jeopardy of a serious, massive civil suit by Officer Court's family? Oh, I just, he put himself in a, in a situation that put the county at, uh, at risk here. But uh, again, I, I'm just going to say rightfully so. I've already talked to our corporation counsel. Um, what he did within his office, or I should say failed to do, is what really put this county in jeopardy because he should have had that warrant signed. Davis obtained the Draco pistol used in the fatal shooting of Officer Lauren Courts illegally by what is known as a straw purchase where someone who is unable to legally obtain a firearm has someone else buy it for them. Bill Cusick is a former law enforcement officer who now owns Action Impact Firearms and Training in East Point, where the firearm Davis used to shoot and kill Officer Lauren Quartz was purchased, and he talked to Guy Gordon. In this case, uh, a young man by the name of uh, Sheldon Avery Thomas has been accused with being that straw purchaser. He has had a criminal complaint filed against him in U.S. District Court. Uh, he did it for a 50-buck profit, and it could land him in prison for up to... 10 years. The gun was purchased uh, at a, a 
gun store we know well, Action Impact in East Point. And that is because uh, the owner of that retail establishment is a good friend of this program and one of the people we turn to routinely to discuss issues of both gun control, gun safety, responsible gun ownership. Bill Cusick is a retired Oakland County Sheriff's Deputy and, and owner of Action Impact, and he joins us live this afternoon. Bill, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Guy. I hope you're doing well. I, I've got to know, having talked with you for years, that your heart is as heavy as anybody's about the, the fact that this gun was purchased legally uh, from your establishment. As, as a fellow officer, you share in the, in the frustration and the heartache like any officer would. Man, did I ever, and I still do. Um, it was difficult, but, I, you know, I guess some rationalization to make me feel better anyway is that and i think we're really good at what we do and we Mm -hmm. certainly root out more of this than unfortunately happened here so that's the only saving grace for me personally i think yeah well well, like any retailer i mean be it a uh, someone that owns a a gun store or a car dealership or or, or anything else that can be turned into a weapon uh you sell your product and you hope the consumer uses it lawfully and responsibly um, these straw purchases, though, are a common way to get around a lot of the, the, the checks in the system. I know there's no way to, to flag these people, but are there practices that you've learned over the years to kind of tell who may not be the, the, the real buyer? Yeah, we are. And I'm constantly training my staff, and we practice scenarios that we might encounter where somebody comes in to buy a gun. And uh, there's certain individuals that will profile and um, pay a little bit more attention to them that make sure that they're actually going to be the buyer of the gun and we you know we probably decline two to three sales a week simply because we're not comfortable with it i couldn't prove anything but i'm not comfortable with it so we just decline it that's simple. You see i mean if you're going to err you're going to err on the side of safety and, and a sale that you can live with Always, always, always. And I've done that since the day we've opened. My staff has instructed you never have to sell a gun. If you're not comfortable for whatever reason it is, that's enough for me, and we just won't do it. The uh, Sheldon Avery Thomas and uh, Amani Davis, the 19-year-old who's accused of killing officer courts, and he was killed in the, in the shootout, um, they they were in the store together briefly, but the actual purchase happened several days later because the, the Nick's background check was delayed. I know the surveillance video that you, you supplied the ATF was very helpful in bringing these charges. As you look at that video and you review this transaction among the many that you do on any given week, were there any missed signals? No, there wasn't. Uh, so the first day when he applies, guy, the two of them come in, and that's certainly not an unusual situation. Sometimes people are accompanied by friends, or other shop family with friends. members, or even their children. Sure, uh, yeah. and he's delayed. The, the when he actually takes possession of the firearm, he's by himself. So there's absolutely nothing there that could put anybody on notice that this was a straw purchase, and. After he leaves my store, then he goes down the street a number of buildings, and that's where the exchange takes place. So that's how it happened, and, and everybody needs to know, if you're going to buy a gun from me, I assure you I'm going to cooperate with law enforcement, and I'm going to provide them anything and everything they ask for. Well, I know that I this, is a, <laughs> this is a relationship that you cherish. 
Yes, it is. Absolutely. And and we have a close relationship with all the uh, Metro Detroit Police Departments. I I extend great courtesy to them. I'll open up my store uh, at night for them to shoot by themselves. And so that's, you know, it kind of hits close to home here. Yeah. Well, because so many guys, especially if you're a third shifter, you uh, there's there's not a lot of ranges open maybe when you're off duty, right? Uh, if, you're, right. if you're working overnights. Yeah, yeah and we want to give them some privacy too, so we do that. Yeah, well, and, and you want them to be safe. Um, how, how common are these straw purchases? And as, as you look at this, not just through the eyes of former law enforcement, but through the eyes as an attorney, are these deterrents working? This is a 10-year max. Do straw barriers yeah. ever get that? Is the no. deterrent working? This guy was, was willing to put his future at risk for 50 bucks. Yeah, so, I mean, that's to me, that's that's the big question here. It's not, you know, what, how why is it somebody would go – commit such a serious crime for 50 bucks i'd have gave him 50 bucks not to do it okay um so to me that's the big question how common are they they we're constantly trying to analyze these things and one thing we have learned is that the gang members will use young girls 21 22 years old without a criminal record uh to come in and purchase their firearms so we really well, yeah, we look at those really close. So if you're looking to buy an AR or an AK and I ask you what kind of ammunition it shoots and you can't tell me, the yeah, odds are really good I'm not selling you that gun. Lauren Quartz will be laid to rest on Monday after a weekend of memorials and visitations. His partner, Amanda Hudgens, spoke to multiple news outlets about the shooting that killed her friend and how she put herself in danger trying to save him. Senior news analysts Lloyd Jackson and Chris Renwick have the Quartz story. Was- Shot and killed after responding to a call of shots fired in the area of Joy Road in Marlow on Detroit's west side last Wednesday. The suspect shooter, Imani Davis, was shot and killed by Detroit police who returned fire. Courts' partner, Amanda Hudgens, was with him when he was shot. He She spoke with Fox 2 about the shots fired run they were called on. I remember seeing the muzzle flash and hearing the shots. Um... I yelled some cuss words, and then I yelled Lauren. The shooter who fired from an apartment above a business came down and started to come toward her from behind as Officer Hudgens was applying pressure to Officer Quartz's wound. I wasn't going to leave him. I couldn't move him because I couldn't let go. And he had no cover. So I made myself his cover. I just I looked at him. I said, please don't leave me. I love you. And I, I held on. Hudgens says she will take some time off, but she plans to get back to work as soon as she can. Uh, Lloyd, unfortunately, you've covered a lot of these things, um, uh, and and it never gets easier being at a at a funeral or a visitation for a Detroit police officer. Um, but I thought, you know, we, we said it a little bit earlier or, or, or uh, last week when this happened, and we talked about the the unbelievable actions. Uh, Officer Huggins took and and I thought what she said was I mean look she was just trying to do her job she was trying to save her partner she was trying to save her friend and in the end uh, she she couldn't um, it didn't sound like anybody really could um, and, and it's I mean she she's she's really broken up about this situation still and, and of course you know it's it's not a surprise. No, she she is really broken up, and you know they were very close. Uh, that was her partner for three, I believe, three of the five years that Officer Courts was uh, on the force. Uh, they met, I believe, in um, 
uh, while they were training. And um, she says that he was just a, a great person and that she was not going to leave him. And, you know, she was, you know, she put herself in the line of fire. She says that, you know, people are calling her a hero. She really doesn't feel that she's a hero. She was just doing she what is. she trained. She, she doesn't want to accept that. She said, because it won't bring her partner back. And so, you know, and I, yeah, and I understand, but she is a hero. I mean, just like the chief said, chief says she's beyond a hero. If there's something that's beyond hero, she's that. Well, being a hero didn't mean saving her partner. Being a right. hero meant attempting to save her partner, putting that's herself right. in harm's way to try to save this man that she cared for. That'll it for Pod Sui this week. For full episodes or anything else you might have missed, go to thegreatvoice.com. See you next time.